0: Are
1: you ready for Arthur Milios? I don't think you're fucking ready.
2: He's about to bring the hotness,
0: the coolness,
1: the Astoria Greek factor. Never let anyone tell you what your life is supposed to be. Welcome to the Tone That Made Us podcast. Dan and I are excited to welcome a great friend and influence to both of us. He's held down either guitar or bass duties for bands like Token Entry, Gorilla Biscuit, Civ, World Be Free, the almighty Warzone. I like to call him the John Entwistle of hardcore. Mr. Arthur Smelios. John Entwistle of
2: hardcore. Hmm. That's, 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 a really high praise. So, um, uh,
1: I've heard you noodle and you noodle like John
2: Entwistle. Well, I wouldn't say that. I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John, whoever you are. <laughs> so <laughs> Arthur um, want to
1: yeah. kind of start this off the way that we're planning on starting every one of these off, which is, yeah. you know, we, we've heard the story. I started playing because I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, yeah. or I started playing music because I saw Kiss on Tom Snyder. Now, only people of our generation are going to yeah. recognize that reference. Yeah, but, yeah. but ultimately, this podcast is more about what was the first time you saw a musical instrument that made you like shake, that made you get excited? And what was that instrument?
2: Um, I, this is, this one's easy, man. It goes back to this guy time and again, uh, there's a picture in a Led Zeppelin book of John Paul Jones from, I think 1971. They're playing outdoors. She could tell from the stage and he's playing a Fender jazz bass, which is a 62, the 62 jazz bass that he played through houses of the Holy. Um, and I just remember, I actually told, Interestingly enough, I, 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 and just to kind of drop a, a massive name here that's so heavy, I don't know if you can pick it up. Um, I met him in, uh, in 1994 at a party when he was playing with the Amandia Galas, and I went to the after party. Peter Mengedig got me in. He was like, John Paul Jones is going to be there. I know you're going to be happy. But, but I told him this story. I, I'd seen a Fender Precision Bass, and I thought it was great, and I knew what it was, uh, but this is obviously pre-internet. So I see this picture, and I was just like, wow, that looks like a Fender Bass, man. Headstock didn't say anything on it because it's '62, and as you know, James and Dan, the the decals were over the the lacquer at that time, and I guess I guess it had worn off. So I'm thinking to myself, that looks like a Fender, it doesn't look like this precision bass. What is that? You know, so I did my little research, you know, the old analog way, and figured it's a jazz bass, and it is a jazz bass. And I just thought it was, you know, the offset body, it had the two pickups, and that you know, JPJ was playing it, and I just like that's the instrument I have to play. Uh, and I have to admit that it was really just about uh, aesthetics. And then I really started listening to the bass and it just confirmed this this, uh, this uh, inclination I had. So it was, yeah, this one, and I can see the picture in my mind's eye too right now. I have it somewhere. Nice. Not, that, not, that, not that exact book that I had in 1980 <laughs> or 81, but yeah, I have, I have that, that picture. It's a pretty famous one. You can see his little, the necklace of his symbol, so that's why I'm fairly certain it was the 71 tour. Did they do a 71 tour for the for the Zeppelin 4? Yeah, they did, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And and the hair and everything looks like around 1971. So, yeah. That's very cool. It.
0: Yeah. Very cool. So then uh, you uh you, you see JPJ, you see him playing the bass. Uh what was the first instrument you were around? The first instrument you were actually exposed to? Was it a bass, or were you uh, exposed to a guitar beforehand?
2: Even not neither. either. The very first instrument to which I was exposed it was funny. So my mother's sister, Chris, my aunt, uh, she, you know, they, we grew up right. Uh, her son is my first cousin, Stephen. We're all very close in age, so we're always at each other's houses. And they had this this uh, decorative balalaika in their house, in their apartment, in um, in Elmhurst, Queens. And so it's like, wow, got a sound soundboard a neck and strings but only three of them and i would sit there and like it's the closest thing it's more like a guitar than, than a tennis racket as it were so I would, <laughs> I would play i would play that thing i would play that thing and i wanted to uh to play and then um my mother got me uh my, my first guitar it was a it was a lorry l-o-r-i, L-O-R-I. Mm. i bought it off yeah i bought it off a kid in school for 40 bucks which at the time was i guess seemed like a lot of money I, I I didn't know how to tune anything, but I doubt this thing could have been tuned. You know, uh, an interesting story. I um, I wanted it to be a Fender so badly that I actually sat with construction paper and I drew the, the Fender transition. Yeah, I drew the Fender transition logo, right? <laughs> Cut it out and put it on with some tape. And I remember it was so funny because. Uh, as christmas was approaching i remember telling my aunt or something whipping over i was like yeah i want a, i want a fender i want a fender for christmas she's like but you have a fender right there it's like that's not a fender that's that's construction paper you see it curling up at the end <laughs> <laughs> that's not a fender yeah. that was that so, so that
1: was the original chibson that was the one. <laughs> the original chibson that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a gibson copy starting those copies off very early early early. (coughs) (laughs) okay so 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 if that was your first real instrument so if that was your first instrument what was your first real right like pro but what was the first instrument that you got that you actually was good enough to play and then play in a band with bob she
2: didn't have much money but she got she got a good job and uh I wanted a Stratocaster. Now, it's interesting because there's kind of a disconnect here between wanting to play bass and, and guitar. I had said to my mother, I wanted to play bass. She cut a deal. With, first, she was like, well, why do you want to play bass? It's a background instrument. And I'm like, yeah, but it's the coolest instrument in the world. She's like, okay, I'll tell you what. If you learn how to play guitar, um, talk to me later. And then if you really still want to play bass, we'll figure something out, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that Christmas is coming. I'm learning how to play guitar, and I, I wanted a Stratocaster. So she surprised me. On Christmas Eve, we got in the car. We drove to Manny's Music on December 24th, 1981. It was my first time on 48th Street. Uh, You can even imagine my... You guys remember what 48th Street used to be like?
1: Back then, yeah.
2: Yeah, so you can imagine my face when we got out. Remember the parking garage right across the street from Manny's? Right next to where we we buy and sell guitars was?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, We parked the car in there, and I was just... Shaking with excitement and just completely overly overstimulated by it. just surrounded, but we went right into Manny's because Manny's is where Hendrick shopped. Manny's is where Pete Townsend went. Everything went in, and I got a uh, an Antigua Stratocaster.
1: Yes, the um, Antigua I, Strat. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said it because that uh, Walter and I talk about that Strat all the time because I know he. You know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no,
2: it's it's all good. No, interject all you want because it's an exciting guitar. It weighed uh, it weighed about as much as a Mini Cooper. Uh, <laughs> it was um, okay. I'll tell you this: I bought it December twenty fourth, nineteen eighty one, but it was a seventy nine Stratocaster. The serial number was S nine four two one six eight. That's some rain and,
1: shit right there.
2: Yeah, I, well, that guitar, and, and I just remember the way it smelled. I remember taking it home and just, I couldn't, every day I would polish it and clean it. And just every day, as soon as I woke up during that that Christmas break, as soon as I woke up, I would run in and open that case and just look at this thing. Uh, It was funny too because then you know people saw it and everybody made fun of it. They called it the washing machine. They said it was the ugliest color. (laughs) I still disagree. I think the Antigua stuff is. I think it's a great color. I I didn't know that that's what it was called. I was like what is this gray burst? I got. I got a. I call. I called it a gray burst Stratocaster. So yeah, it was it was an Antigua Stratocaster '79. Antigua Stratocaster, bought new at Manny's, and it was four hundred seventy-five dollars. I remember, and uh, had a maple neck, maple neck and maple fretboard. Yep. And that was my that was my first first professional instrument and I played that for a while and i I did a lot of mods to it and I ended up uh Walter ended up getting it from me and then I, I I don't know what happened I don't know what happened to it I lost track of it
1: I can't remember what happened to it I'll have to bring it back up with him uh but we talk because I saw a picture of him playing it and I was like, dude Antigua Strat and he's like, yeah that was Arthur's. Um, yeah, so, so I'm
0: glad, glad you brought,
2: brought it up. up. The Antigua Strat, I have pictures of me with, playing that with, uh, I have pictures of me playing with Token Entry. Yep, the Token and, Entry Strat. And, and then I have pictures of me playing with Underdog. And then while I was an Underdog, I refinished it. I got it stripped down oh. to, to natural because it had that, that ash body with the deep grain. And I was really for years into just the, the, the natural and blonde. Ladies so, uh, and gentlemen,
1: the yeah. mystery is solved. The natural uh, Strat and the Antigua Strat are the same guitar.
0: James yeah. and I were discussing this previously, and I he said how he wanted to talk about that Antigua Strat, and I was saying I had seen you play that in Token Entry. Always loved it. I love the bass as well, uh, the, the P bass. I always wanted one. But uh, I then followed up my question with him by saying I wanted to ask about that natural Strat because naturals are always my favorites. And, yeah, uh, now I don't have to ask that question.
2: <laughs> it was, a, it was <laughs> the, the same, same guitar. Story. It was the same one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's funny because my my first bass has almost a similar story, but um, so yeah, so that was December. So that even, on on May first of nineteen eighty two, this is something funny. My mom was very cool. She 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 kind of like had a flair for the dramatic. So it was uh, it was like in April or something. I started hounding my mother. I was like mom, you know, because. When you, you know, when you're 12 years old, 13 years old, three, four months seems the way 10 years seems to us now. So to me, I've been playing forever at this point. And I was like, Mom, remember what you said about, remember what you said about the, um, what you said about if I played guitar? Am I still here? you still got me? Yep. Yeah, you're yeah, good. Okay. Go. Um, Remember what I said about playing guitar? Uh, you know, I still want to play the bass. Still so want to play the bass. Anyway. She, she kind of was being, uh, she was just, you know, kind of being... Um, elusive and, and uh non committal and then one day it was a weekend it was May first nineteen eighty two and she's like oh okay uh, honey you want to take a drive you wanna take a drive out to uh wanna take a drive out to Westbury? All right fine I'm from Queens I don't know where Westbury is living in Jackson so we drive out to the island and we go to Sam Ash big one big Sam Ash on Long Island and I'm just looking they've got all these jazz basses on sale all right so I'm looking I'm looking like oh my god mom this this jazz bass, this jazz bass is on sale. You know, it's like, I start cutting a deal. I'm like, okay, so if I get this jazz bass, it could be my birthday, because my birthday's in June. It's like my <laughs> birthday present and my Christmas present. She's looking at me. She's like, whatever. So I play it. She's like, do you want it? I said, I want it. She bought me a, a black jazz bass that day nice. with, uh, with a little Westbury amplifier, right? Um, and it's funny because just to go ahead a few years later, I there at I said, my, you knew you were getting me a base that day. I said, of course I knew. Why do you think I was, we went out there and why do you think I had cash on me? You think I carried cash on me like that? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, it was about 500 bucks. Obviously I need to say it all. They were all made in the USA at the time. Defenders. They were, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, they didn't have tears of like, you know, the, 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 how, the, the. how old
1: are you at this point?
2: 13, okay. 13. And lucky for me, I was tall. So I had no problem playing a long scale bass. So I got a book. was black jazz bass, um, white pick guard, uh, black fretboard, uh, block inlays, uh, three bolt neck, uh, uh, serial number eight, six, three S eight, six, three, eight, six, nine. So it was a 78. <laughs> so it was a 78. And, uh, I got home. First thing I did was take, I took off the ashtrays, which is kind of funny because now I, I have those on mm. and, uh, yeah. And I just, I just remember, and, uh, uh, that was it, and uh, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to play good times, bad times, or at least part of it, because I uh, couldn't <laughs> at that stage of the game. I couldn't do the 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 runs that that JPJ was doing and and whatnot. But you know, I could do that that initial riff, which is the arpeggio, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it. That was, uh, and at that time, I wasn't a social kid. That's all I did. I'd go to school, I'd come home, and pick up the strap, pick up the jazz bass, pick up the strap, pick up the jazz bass. But uh, I was really just, you know, just pretty much uh, devoted to, like, learning the Zeppelin as much as I could possibly play at that point, learning the Zeppelin catalog, um, and obviously the Who, because, you know, there's just such different bass players as well, but I really learned, I really learned trying to mimic John Paul Jones with, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the the the, the the runs that he does, the way he walks up, and, and a lot of he does you know, a lot of arpeggios, picks out a lot of chords and whatnot, and does it. what he used to call the bouncing bass lines with that deep deep tone. Oh yeah, uh, b- big flat wound strings, which is funny because um, thumper jumping at jumping ahead. I use uh, I use really light strings, and I have for years. And uh, but back then I found out um, that he that he used to use uh labella flat wounds, deep talking bass, and. <laughs> I got a set of one-fifth and put them on my chest. <laughs> and it was like, it was like <laughs> I had just cut something down a cable from a Brooklyn Bridge and, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know the size of me. But it was, it was funny because um, at the time of, uh, when I was in high school, I was, um, there was, there was a band room over at Newtown High School where uh, Johnny Thunders, Sil Sylvia, and Bill Mercy all, uh, um, all went, by the way, the, the, the original uh, Doll Strawberry. and, the two, oh, wow. yeah. the two guitars. They grew up in Jackson Heights, one one three seven two, and they went to Newtown High School. But anyway, they had a, a music room, and I kind of skimmed my way into not playing the orchestra, but I would grab the upright bass and, and go to one of the one of those soundproof rooms and just screw around over there. And that made my hands so strong. I go home at the and then I'd go home after school and just pick up my jazz bass and it was like writing a banjo. It was it was, uh, it was just uh, so easy, but. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I was I was just devoted, really, and that, you know, once I got the jazz bass, I was focusing more and more on playing that, and, and just playing bass, because that was my, that was my thing, that was, that was just, once I plugged it in, the first time you plug in an electric bass, and you just feel it and hear it, and you're either, you know, it, it either moves you, or it doesn't, and it doesn't do that for most people, that's why bass players are so many fewer, you know, always have than guitar players. For right? sure, for sure. But that was it. I was like, I'm a bass player. That's what I am. I'm a bass player.
1: <laughs>
2: Dan. And I, I, I always like to say too that I chose to play the bass because a lot of people, you know, the story is, oh, I, I learned how to play bass because I thought it was easier than guitar. I learned both at the same time, and I don't think it's easier than guitar at all. If you're approaching it, if you're approaching it, uh, yeah, philosophically. Uh and I always say I chose it. I can play guitar, but I I chose the bass because to me it's just the, it's still I still I and mean, I'm talking about it and I'm still getting, you know, still getting these uh these waves of elation thinking about how lucky I am. I still take my basses out and stare at them I'm like, How how are you so perfect? How is Leo Fender such as <laughs> the way most people like- look at babies? Yeah, yeah, babies. Yeah, are, exactly. yeah, yeah exactly. Right? I'm just like no Leo Fender. Leo Fender touched the divine when he designed those things. By the yeah, way,
1: You want to talk about Greek gods touching down? Mm-hmm.
2: Leo Fender was Greek. Clarence Leonidas Fender. Yeah, Leonidas. So he was. He was partially. He, he was, was part. Greek?
1: Yeah, he was part Greek. As much Greek
2: as Betty White, who is also partially Greek. See, I suspected this. <laughs> but I didn't know. It. I didn't know. It. Do you know from where, from where in Greece's
1: family held? No, no. I've tried to ask, especially when I worked for Fender, you know, mm-hmm. I tried to get it. But the problem is nobody was there from the time that, uh-huh. Leo, I mean, Leo had left and done G&L and, you know, started Music Man, Music Man yeah. and yeah. yeah, nobody I knew actually knew him. But uh, I've, I've, I've certainly tried to do my research online and there's actually a really good book about um, about Leo I have to you know what I forgot what it was called I'll get it I'll text it to you it's Please a really go. it's a really good book That's I was
0: just, uh, is it that The Birth of Loud?
1: Yes thank you The Birth of Loud yeah. it's about him and somebody else
0: yeah someone another a podcast I was just listening to just mentioned it
2: I uh, so oh, yeah, know I'll, it I'll I'll have to look into that because I understand. Yeah. Also, he was he was eccentric, but he was also a very sweet man. He was a very nice man.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like captain of industry stuff,
2: right? The the yeah. book
1: talks about how they left their day jobs to have this incredible idea about starting a music company, and then how they kind of walked through getting that done. I'm trying to think of who the other person in the uh, in the book is, but it's a, it's someone of his caliber. I just
2: I'm blanking. Um, yeah, he was, yeah, he was, he was something else. I really wish I could have met that man. Uh,
0: so you, you talked about, uh, you made that transition from, uh, from playing guitar to playing guitar and bass, and you did mention that Westbury practice amp, but what was your, so you, and you, you started off with stellar instruments. I mean, let's just say that right off the bat. I
2: did. I got very lucky.
0: You, you started on a strat and on a jazz bass, which is. Yeah there you, you can't go up from there very much i know it's, i know you started at a very uh, high level but so you have this westbury practice amp what did you where did you go on amps from
2: from what you had uh previously so okay so it was a little westbury ok oh, okay the very first amp i had was a little tw- tw- uh, stage 25 guitar um and I, and i would play my strat through that as you could it was a little tra- uh, transistor 25 watt yep. practice amp and um I remember I got an MXR Distortion Plus, which just changed everything for me because was like, oh, oh yeah. wow! So this is how they're doing it: using distortion <laughs> pedals. So, um, but you know, again, I wasn't playing guitar in a band, so I didn't really think it necessary to upgrade on, on the guitar amp world. But I knew that I needed a new bass amp because I was getting to the point where I had friends in the neighborhood and we're you know, we playing together, and I was I was playing bass because one I wanted to, and two I was the only one that wanted to. And I was the only one that had a bass, so um, I, I uh, upgraded to a PV Century with a 115 cabinet. It was a piggyback, 100 watt head, and a 115 cabinet because, I, you know, I I thought, I thought at the time that you know the bigger the speaker, the bigger the tone I didn't really understand yet how yep. it really works pv yeah, pv you know,
1: bass combos are the gateway drug to base amplifiers apparently
2: this wasn't a combo this was a piggyback the, yeah the PV oh Sentry's this was the head with, uh, ca- the head yeah. cabinet. the century century head and the 50, 115 cab and uh you know that 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 did the job for you know the kind of the kind of stuff i had been i was doing for that for that time i mean um,
0: honestly that's that's a that's a workhorse amp for that time oh period.
2: my god yeah i mean that's the thing pvs were very inexpensive, no. but yeah. high, high quality. I mean, and they, they took a beating. They take a beating. They last forever, you know? Also yeah. made in the U.S. They're made down in Mississippi. And it's funny, because when I worked in, at Manny's, um, the the floor manager, this guy, Matt, really great guy, Matt De Silva, he went down to the PV factory and came back. He was like, man, Arthur, they make everything down there. It's like down to the screws. Like, they make everything. He's like, yeah. it's, an, it's an incredible operation. So... Uh, I, I gained a great, greater appreciation because you know PB was kind of didn't really get the respect. Obviously, that Marshall and Marshall and Fender and and and, and you know, Boogie and Roxy and whoever uh, else, but they did in the South, the the Mississippi Marshall.
0: That's what <laughs> That's uh, they, they call it the Mississippi Marshall. The guys, uh, I believe, Leonard Skinner used them. Uh, there, there were a lot of uh, Southern rock acts that were using them in lieu of uh, Marshalls.
2: So that? somewhere
0: that you were getting appreciation somewhere,
2: yeah, and that, and i I gained a greater appreciation and uh I, you know, because I was thinking you know, they're really fine amplifiers, they sound really good they they they're really well made, they're durable so um that was that was the uh the next move I made the next move I made was to uh to a hundred watt pB and uh, that was yeah, that that went on until... Jesus, I don't even know. I don't even know. Because then what happened was I started playing guitar for Token Entry. So.
1: So then you stepped right. up guitar amps?
2: I did. I ended up getting a Fender um, Fender Twin Reverb 2 head. 105 watt head. Remember, wow. it's one hundred and five rated 105 watts. I was like, why 105? It was, uh, you know, it was one of those, uh, I guess it was... I got it new, but it was old stock. And remember how there used to be a million different music stores? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. little indie music stores. I got it, I don't even remember where. I got it a little independent music store, you know, Black Front, because it was, I guess, the 70s. Uh, 100 watt, you know, four 6L6s, the 12AX7s. And and I used that with Token Entry. And um, I played that with a um, I used a 212. Mick, Mick Neal had built these cabinets. And he got four selections and built two sets of 212 cabinets and we used those because that was that was more than enough uh and that's that was what i used for token entry what Along did with, you put a pedal in front of it of course what there was no use? way i could i there's no way i could have gotten distortion otherwise i used at the time um shit i'm trying to remember there was the rat i used a rat and i used a uh, a heavy metal pedal the, was it Boss that made the heavy metal pedal? The Metal Zone? No, it was just called the heavy metal the heavy pedal, metal was it? Pedal. Might have been DOD. Was... DOD. Yeah. DOD, thank you. It was a DOD heavy metal pedal. I used that because 105-watt Fender Amp to distort that, you would just have to make people's ears bleed.
1: Well, know? unless you're Joe Bonamassa and just turning everything to 10, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can't even... Remember. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I, I used with token entry. But then... Gorilla Biscuits started happening at the same time. So uh I was also playing my my jazz bass, but I didn't upgrade bass amps. Uh when we played live, I would use uh Walter's rig because Walter was playing bass for you today. And uh they had gotten money, I think from Caroline or mm-hmm. somewhere. And so he would he he got a GK rig with a with a 410. And uh, at and a, and a one fifteen, so I would use Walters rig. I would use Walters rig live. Um, that's amazing just, when
1: someone else gets an advance and you get to reap the rewards of the amp.
2: Oh, of course. <laughs> well, nothing wrong of with course. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, we always borrow each other's equipment, and uh, it's funny because um, it's funny because for the GB seven inch, I'm playing a white precision bass, which is Walters, and he's playing the Stratocaster, which is mine. Yeah, <laughs> I love so, that. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so I want to fast forward. I want to yeah. fast forward a little bit. So, w- many people on the podcast will maybe not know. So, you go, you do the Grilla Biscuits thing, that kind of breaks up. Everybody kind of goes their own way. Mid 90s comes back together, the band Civ forms. Yeah. You guys, to me, I think you guys had an amazing success. I mean, we know the success is linear. Right. Um, but when it comes down to it, you're signed to a major label, you yep. get you get a budget mm-hmm.
2: to go by what you want. And I could not have been happier. I couldn't believe what it was being explained to me. <laughs> so okay, so number one,
1: how did that make you feel? And number two, would you go buy <laughs> Okay.
0: Feel things- free to skip number
1: one.
2: You can just <laughs> yeah. Skip number one, go right to number two. We know how uh, he yeah. felt. I'll, I'll try not to be as verbose as I normally am, but, okay, so we got signed to uh, Love Atlantic by Jason Flom, who, by the way, uh, is kind of an amazing guy in, in, in his current in his, in his current life he's really been pursuing. He does the uh, the Wrongful Conviction podcast, and he's and just, just kind of an amazing dude in that way. Very and now we know he, he's, he's vegan now, too, and he actively promotes it ethically, so I think that's, that's really great. But I remember Jason signed us, whatever, and then Scott McGee was our manager. So, we had a meeting and they were explaining to us how things work. And they're like, okay, so they've opened up bank accounts for you. Here are your bank cards, and you have an account at Manny's Music. So, now I don't know if you guys met Scott McGee. Scott McGee is a character, he is one of the funniest people. And yeah, buddy, buddy, you got an account at Manny's. So, so, what does that mean? He's like, yeah, you can go get stuff. <laughs> um, and, and, and what happens? He's like, and they just charge the account. I said, so, wait, you're telling me right now I can go into Manny's Music. I can buy an instrument with not a penny on me, not a penny on you, buddy. Just have your tokens or your Metrocard, whatever it was. I know it was Metrocards. The Metrocard <laughs> the me. Just have your Metrocard. And I was like, wait. So I was in there the other day, Scott. <clears throat> they have a, a custom shop, a uh, custom shop butterscotch blonde 1951 reissued Fender Precision Base in, you know, Louisiana swamp ash body. And he's like, Yeah. Said, I can go get that. Like right after his office was on fifty seventh street in Central Park South. I said, I, I can walk nine blocks down, down, down Seventh Avenue right now and get that. He's like, buddy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go get you go, go 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 get your go get your Mississippi Mudwood base, man. Just go do it. i I don't I don't I don't give a fuck if it's I don't give a fuck if it's a blonde colour, if it's got fur on it, I don't give a shit. Go get, go get your fucking base, man. <laughs> Needless to say, I left from uh, 210 Central Park South, and I walked down 7th Avenue, <clears throat> walked into Manny's. They still had it because I had seen it like the day before, two days before. And uh, it was, you know, a custom shop, 51 reissue, butterscotch blonde. Um, <clears throat> because at the time, uh, I had a 73 P bass, because those 70s, I really got into playing the 70s P basses on stage because they, they just adorable. They took a beating. They, they were, were solid, neck. Solid. Yeah, and they had it's, it's the, the B neck, and I like the pre seventy five before they changed the 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 the, the, the early seventies from the late sixties to about seventy five. They had the big logo. Remember, It's mm-hmm. a big precision base, mm-hmm. um, and they had the B neck. So it wasn't as narrow as it, it wasn't as narrow as the A neck, and it wasn't the big baseball bat that the C neck was. But I do love the C neck, and the, the fifty one reissue had that real solid it wasn't even a v it was just deep was just like a big like a, a a baseball bat like saw sawed in uh just, you know, see oh, yeah, no,
1: we know and and apparently you and Dan and i love the same exact feel of a neck
2: so. oh it was it was incre- that's the incredible thing about it it was this thick neck but it was you know it had the small fender frets and the action was so low because by this time I was very, I'd gone to the, the Entrylisle School really light strings really low action. <clears throat> and I remember playing that thing. And I got that actually while we were recording um, Set Your Goals. So I only got to use it on two songs. I used it on Boy Summer and uh, and on Don't Gotta Prove It because those are the last songs that we that were written. And uh, the rest of that record was recorded all on a 73 uh, P bass. But, um, I, I remember I picked that thing up, and that, that it was just—it was so different because it has no contours. It's got this, you know, the original small tilly style headstock, spaghetti logo, mm-hmm. uh, big Cluson reverse action tuning gears, Cluson style, uh, and it just—you just plugged it in, and I was like, okay, this is an elite instrument. It's—you know, this thing's handmade, custom shop, uh, California. You know, uh, what was it uh, in '95? In the custom shop was in Corona, right? Cause I, I went there. I yeah, they there. had.
1: Yeah, Corona had opened up at that point.
2: Yep. Yeah, because I went there. I actually went to the custom shop and and because uh, the next phase was that I, kind of, I um Chi from uh, from the Deftones got me a, a deal with Fender. Uh and because uh, we did we did, the first zip tour that we did alone we did with the Deftones because the first tour we did was with Sick of It All and H2O in Europe and then we came home did the Warp tour. Yep. And then we went out with Quicksand and then we went out alone with the Deftones and their re- first record was just coming out. So this is really late 1995, like yes, yeah, autumn of 95. And I just remember I hit it off right away with, with Chi as you know, bass players are wont to do. Um, and he, he it's was
1: a, an amazing dude too.
2: And it just an incredible bass player an incredible human being. I have a couple of good stories with him, but this just makes me think of something Siv once said that was so funny. And this was actually quite recently. I forgot. Oh, um, said something. I was like, "Yeah." I, I, I don't. He asked me about something that just happened. Like, I don't know, man. I was just hanging out with it, with so forth and so on. And like, you know, bass players. It's like we, all, you know, bass players, we hang out with each other. And he's like, "Yeah, because nobody else wants to hang out with you." <laughs> <laughs> Which was such a great thing to say, because he's just, you know, the, the master of the, of the, of the uh, zingers. Of the, well, the Vuitton and Paul Mo. Yeah, just the, you know, the, the, the venom. But it's always funny. It's always funny. Uh, another great, another great one, another along those lines from from Civ is uh, we were sound checking one day, and she's like, "Turn the bass down, turn the bass down." to the sound guy, I looked at her and I was like, "Man, you hate the bass." He goes, "No, man, I don't hate the bass. I hate the bass player." You <laughs> <I, laughs> just you teed was, it up for him, man. And that's you know what? Even when you think you're throwing the guy a freaking knuckle curve, it's a batting practice fastball to him because he lives for it. He's he a, thrives. He's a it. pro. He's, he said to me, "He's like I've spent my life in a tattoo shop. I've honed this skill very sharply. So uh, I, I forgot I, who I, it
1: was. Somebody, somebody interned with him. Oh, mm-hmm. it was Dylan. Mm-hmm. Dylan. I just heard Dylan telling a story how he interned there, but he interned under like a legit murderer biker, and." Uh, <laughs> And he said you want if if you really want a crash course in like in getting abused,
2: like that's that's what you,
1: that's what you go for.
2: Yes. So the other half of that was I got my first uh, I got my first amp SVT. That's um, where you have to go. Yeah, yeah I got the, I got a, I got a, I ended up getting an SVT three rack mounted with a tube preamp and a solid state power amp just for the sake of not having to carry a ninety two pound head. The three or
1: the two? The three. Okay. Oh no, no, no! it was the two. The four space.
2: No, it was the small one. Okay, it then the it three. was the three.
1: Yep.
2: It was the three. It was the smaller one, and I, so I got that rack the tuner. I got um, and I remember Anvil custom made cases for us. So we had what what the guys started calling the coffin. So I had the eight ten cabinet in the rolling case, but the wheels were on the back part of it. So it rolled like a coffin and they ended up like custom making a trap door in the back for the inputs for the jacks. So mm-hmm. you never had to take it out. So that, that cabinet was always in, in great condition. And that was when I really, 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 really gained an appreciation and a veneration for, for roadies because I couldn't lift that damn thing that it, but you know, it was, but suddenly I was pro. I was like, I got a 350 watt head, Ampeg had and I have a an 810 cabinet now I have a a battery of fender bases behind me I mean I well battery too I had yeah you know, I took two bases on tour um and I just uh you know by that point I was getting really into you know I guess brighter tones and and uh, and uh, yeah it was just I don't know it was just that base that, that's the one I've had I think 17 bases in my life <clears throat> And that's the one that I really miss that I really wish I hadn't sold, that 51 reissue. issue. That thing was just it was a monster of an instrument. I have and they're very it's actually I'm playing it in the second video that we did for Choices Made. And uh, I've there, you know, I have a couple of pictures of me playing it and I'm just like, well, if, you know, I love my two basses right now, but if I could add one bass to it some it, my past that would be it and it was that that butterscotch blonde Oh, it's just such a beautiful instrument
1: you played that the whole first warp tour because basically every warp tour picture of you from that tour you're playing
2: that yeah piece. yeah i i was very into that bass yeah i did play it a lot on that first warp tour i i and you know I would go back and forth but that thing was it just played james and dan it just played so easily and i would you know at by that point i was i was already using 95 so i was using a uh, GH has boomers 40 to 95. And uh, like I said, super ridiculously low action. So I, um, it's funny cause we played, we played, um, we played Riot Fest a couple of years ago with uh, with um, with No Doubt. And then after after our set, Tony, who's another great bass player and another even better human, he was like, dude, what do you do? You do like, you do vibratos and string bends? How do you do that? It's like Tony, I use 95, he's 40 to 95s, Really? So, Tony, how long have you known me? Look at my arms. Do you think that I could fret anything that like what you use 110s or 115s? <laughs> but uh, and this is funny, Richie will never remember this story. But we were really young. I mean, we were like, I guess, I guess I must have been about 19 or 20, maybe 20, whatever. And uh, we we're having this discussion because I was already really into using light strings back then. And he's well, Arthur, isn't a heavier string, isn't a heavier string gonna give you a heavier sound? It's like yeah, on a, a Martin D twenty eight. Well, I was like, but if you got a good amplifier and a good bass, man, it doesn't matter. No. He's like, yeah, you know, you, you're right. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I probably won't remember that conversation.
1: You know, and but, I, uh, I got to send you pictures, and I've sent them to Dan before. A coworker of mine was very, yeah. very close with Preston Hubbard, mm-hmm. the bass player for the Fabulous Thunderbirds, mm-hmm. and, and he, when Preston passed away, Preston left him his 52 telly race.
2: What? Wait, a 52?
1: 52, 54. Dan, do you remember the year? (gasps) I have the serial... I'm going to send you pictures. Did
2: it have a slab body or or did it have a slab or contour?
1: It is the... uh, I don't... I have a picture of the back of it. When yeah. I send it to you, you'll know immediately. I
2: don't 54 remember. 54 to 57 is when they had the original design, but with the contours. And then in 57, they switched to the P-Base that we know now. So 51 to 54 is the slab body.
1: Then that's what it is. It's a slab body because yeah, it's, it's not it's, a 55. It's an original, folder. yeah. It's an
2: original. <laughs> that's a piece of history right there, man.
1: Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautifully made yeah, up. And he we're, still we're, gigs there. with it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you know what? His great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchild great will get with it if they take care of it.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: So, just, they're monsters.
1: So we just covered your biggest regret story, actually, and it's funny because, I, and I won't reveal it now, but my biggest sale regret story, I'm interviewing yeah. the guy I sold it to. We're, we're, yeah. we're going to have him on the podcast. <laughs> um, so, you know, sometimes we end up with, like, the lemon, like so. W- what w- what instrument did you
2: have that you wish you never bought? You know what? Not none, because I've only owned Fender basses every and I've never, never I've just, I've never had a crap bass. I mean, wow, probably if you had only owned Fenders, only Fenders. I've played, I played on stage a couple of times, other instruments like. Uh, I played a Music Man um, during the first Civ tour because I only had one bass with me, and and the jack broke mid set, so I had to use uh, Eric Thrice's Smokey's uh, Music Man. Oh, so ah, yeah, Smokey. That time, then when we were playing with GB and the first iteration, was playing shows with Beyond. I broke the jack on my P bass, and I had to use um, Vic's uh, Ibanez. So there are pictures of me playing an Ibanez back then. Is um, that a Road and, uh, Star? I think he was playing. I'm not even sure. I don't even remember. I, I remember. don't remember. I know, yeah, I know it's, it like, it's it's a roadster, roadstar, whatever they call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just was like, I need a bass, and so they, you know, they gave it to me because, and you know, obviously, right after the show, I pulled out my soldering iron, like I used to carry it with me, and and I fixed it. But um, so I played a Music Man live, and, I, and I've, been, I've been, and i been live, and then when we were doing Walter Strifel's band back in 2009, we did a show at Williamsburg Music Hall, and I played a famous, uh a friendless hollow body that Walter's friend had. And Walter said, you should play this. So it's cool if you do. And I just, just for the, 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 I guess, just for the cool factor, uh, I played that. I played that for, for, for one show, but in terms of owning, I've only owned Fender bases. So if I were like to, if I would have ranked them, I mean, I guess the, the, the least desirable other than the, um, the, the affection I have for it and the sentimental value would have been my, would have been my first base, the jazz bass, the, the 78, because it was just brutally heavy, I don't like bound fretboards or block, block uh, Inlay. markers, inlays, excuse me. Um, I, I'm very much a purist, you know. I think the jazz bass, the original design was the best design. Uh, I do like the three knob, but I also do love the, uh, the stack knob. And I just, yeah, so that would have been like the least desirable, but it was still a solid bass. And that bass I ended up selling to Chuck Malley, that original jazz bass, that first one. I refinished that one as well because I was just completely into natural wood, and I sold it to Chuck Valley.
1: Rest in peace, Chuck.
2: Sweet. What a sweet guy. What a complete, complete and utter angel of a human. Yeah. And remember, I went to his house over in Elmhurst. I walked over with it, and he was like, yeah, I'll buy it. It's cool, because he had been playing that guild. That was his main base with mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, I want, the, I want a Fender. I'll buy you a Fender. And you know, remember how like, soft-spoken he was and how taciturn he was and he just kind of smiled at you with those thick eyebrows? Yep. Just picked it up. Later, like I'll play it. Okay, bye bye. I was like, all right, cool. That's it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rest in peace, Chuck. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. So, so like, we we spoke earlier about uh, an an amazing uh, story about someone else that we're not going to disclose yet. That, uh-huh. that played a very famous instrument or a, an amazing... Did you ever get your hands on an instrument that wasn't yours, that was just <laughs> mind-blowing?
2: <laughs> no. The closest I came... <laughs> closest I came was when um, a couple of years ago at the Met, the Play It Loud exhibit. Did you guys go to that? No.
0: No, I, I didn't get to go to it, unfortunately.
2: Oh, my God. Well, first of all, they have Jimmy Page's rig up, the Zoso right. rig. With the theremin, with the orange amp, everything, they have um, a number of different things. They have Keith Moon's uh, pictures of Lily premiere set. They have Hendrix's. They had Hendrix's Woodstock strat, but the holy grail to me, and it was just a, I guess a quarter inch piece of plexiglass that was separating my unworthy hand in this instrument was uh, Mr. John Entwistle's jazz bass, uh, his sixty three or four sunburst with a white pickguard jazz bass, the very one, the one that he used to record My Generation after he had snapped uh, the strings on his Dan Electro three times. Uh, you guys know that story? It's such a great yeah. story. Yeah, they finally was like they, they, they were so in hawk the band to Kit and to Kit Lambert and everybody that they were just like, we're not buying you or not because you couldn't get the, he, he was buying these Dan Electros because of the strings that were on them. You couldn't get those strings. So he kept snapping the string. He snapped three of them. And they're finally, like, you're not, you're not getting another one. So he's just like, he did the session with the jazz bass and that jazz bass was in this, um, in this exhibit. And I remember I went with my, with my wife, with Caitlin and I'm just touching the plexiglass. and like about a quarter of an inch separates my hand from that. <laughs> you know But, uh, I never really know I didn't get to play. I did not get to play any any like any instrument that was you know that has that kind of provenance to it I didn't unfortunately or fortunately I don't know whatever yeah. <laughs> okay
0: and so just because we have to ask yeah desert island gear, you have a couple things you, you, a guitar, a bass, an amp, guitar amp. What is your what is the desert island setup for you?
2: Ooh, okay, for a guitar amp, I'm I gotta say now where I am at the, my stage of life now would be a, a Vox AC30. Uh, Good one. The guitar, as long as there's a chair for me to sit down, it have to be a Les Paul, have to be a Les Paul standard. Which one? As long as.
0: Well, uh, I love the caveat of uh, having to sit in a chair. I guess, our age.
2: Yeah. I mean I, would, I guess it would have to be a 59, 59 sunburst, like Jimmy Page played. Oh, it would have to be that. Yeah. Um uh and for bass, only one, I can only have one, right? Yep. 64 L series jazz bass. Um yeah, 64 L series jazz bass uh uh and a, an APEG B 15. uh an AMPEG B15. Uh I did play one 64 L series jazz bass. It was, and that's when I understood why the things I'd been hearing about why people pr- prize the L series so much. It was that uh, we buy and sell guitars. They were very nice. And, and I had been buying and selling stuff with them and they had a good relationship with them and they knew that I couldn't afford it. I guess it must've been about 21. And uh, I went in and I saw it and I was like, is that a 64? And they said, yeah. Said, Do you mind? are like, of course, of course. So I pick it up, I look on the. Back of it, I look at the back plate and I see L, and I was like, "This is it, isn't it?" God, the the, the nitrocellulose had worn away so perfectly on the neck, and it's just so smooth and perfect. And I just sat there and I played it, and they left me alone until finally I felt guilty, and it's like I have to give this back to you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that would be the bass. That would be it uh, with the uh, yeah. I have to it's sixty four L series jazz bass uh, B fifteen, which is what Jameson Jameson recorded through it. Yep, and. And we are going down to strings too.
1: Get sure, as nerdy as you want. That's what yeah, this podcast it's a, is. For. It's a
2: gear podcast. So about a year ago, so for years I had been playing uh I had been playing uh, uh GHS Boomers 40 95s. And then I used to play pressure wounds many years ago, and about a year ago I just had a notion to do the pressure wounds again, just to take a little bit of the little bit of those real harsh highs off of it. And, uh, so I played GHS pressure ones. Uh, 30, uh, 30, what is it? The, the, they're, they're 40. Yeah. It's 4095 same gauge. Cause they're GHS. Um, so I, th- that I'm really, I, that's, that's what I'm playing now. So they have, they still have that brightness and, and those nice punchy mids, but it's a little, it's a little less, uh, a little less abrasive in, in the higher frequencies. So there's that. But I also, one of my bases now I have permanently strong with flats, which we can get to because I'm big, Big proponent of flat ones as well for a, a, a very you know very particular sound. Yeah, it's a th- um, I mean, it's that thump, right? It's a classic it's, thump. Yeah. It's funny because, um, so my current my current stuff. Am I am I am I ruining your your, uh, your 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 um your series of questions here? No, no,
1: no, no, This is a flow, man. Go for it because I also oh. go for it.
2: Go. I uh, yeah. So I, my current setup is just like I have two really great bases and i always say that you know i don't need another base but i would buy one and caitlin and i've already discussed this and she's she's really sweet because she encourages me to get these things and she's like i just i don't need it good but, woman um, great woman she's 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 top notch she really is and um she uh so she knows uh the one that i'm allowed to get but i, I won't do it i can't spend this money i can't do it and it's funny because this instrument—I remember you—you—you you, you, you used to be able—you could—you couldn't give this instrument away, and now it's worth five figures. Uh, 68, 1968 Paisley Tally, yeah,
1: um,
2: Tally bass—the year I was born—and um, I would love to have that. So you know, that's that. But if I were to find a very cool, very cool—if uh, I were to find another fifty-one ratio, very cool, uh, 50, American or, or made in Japan, made in Japan, being the key. Uh, I would get that. But right now, I mean, I have a jazz and I have a P-Bass. I have a 1964 American reissue jazz bass, black tortoiseshell pickguard. I got the ashtrays on it because that's the right proper thing to do. You know, it's, it's dressed formal. And, uh, and I have the, um, the pressure wounds on that. And then I have a, um, a made in Japan. It's a 1993. I looked it up. So it's a vintage, vintage reissue yeah. made in Japan. Uh, 62 reissue p-base but it's interesting because if you technically it'll be more like a 60 because by 62 they still have the spaghetti logo but they had the patent numbers underneath on the p-base mm-hmm. this doesn't have the patent numbers so it's technically a 60 by appearance it's a 60 reissue it's olympic white tortoiseshell pick obviously rosewood slab fretboard and that one too is dressed formal that was going to the prom it's got the uh <laughs> it's got the ashtrays on it and I have Labella Deep Talking Bay's Flat Rounds on it. Gave's thirty nine to, to ninety six.
1: Those Mij's um, are so nice.
2: They're incredible. They're I, really, had really,
1: a, uh, I had a I had a sixty two <laughs> double bound Telecustom, which was an Mij. <laughs> which I mean, smoked. Actually, I got Dan. That's I got that from Grub from X number five.
2: Oh yeah yeah. They're incredible instruments. I mean, and the funny thing is, I don't know if it's just this. This remember the prejudice against things made in Japan that was completely unfounded. I, I don't know if that's vestigial, but they don't command the kind of money. I, I got that I got that I got that P bass uh, in 2016 um, at uh, Southside Guitars across the street from the Brooklyn Fred Perry shop. They knew me, and I would go in there, and they're like, "I think we have got something you like." They knew I'd been looking for a P bass and I just was like, yeah, this is it. I got to get this. I got to get this. And uh, so, yeah, it's got the, the, you know, the reverse action closing type gears, which I love because I like the reverse action and I also just love the aesthetic of them. They have the long stem, you know, and they just look, the, the headstock just looks so imposing on that thing. Oh, for but, sure. uh, yeah. but I strung that up with Vanilla Flats because that's what, that's my Jamerson base. bass. So Jamerson played La Bella Flats. Yep, that's your Motown bass. That. that is it. And I also have like um, I put the foam mute in sometimes. You know, yep. when I really when I really want to get that bump with no that with just no you know, no decay, just boom boom boom. And like it's just so fun to like throw on like a uh, you know uh, uh, uptight everything's all right or 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 uh, Tears of a Clown and or you know. Uh, Ain't too proud to beg and just play along with that. And you just realize that that is, it's funny, too, because I first learned about Jamerson and who he was because of an interview with John Paul Jones and then all those British bass players. That's what they looked up to, right? That's it. JPJ, Paul McCartney, they're like, I play, if you want to know why I play the bass, this is why I do it. I, I learned to play the bass by imitating this man. I learned to imitate, you know, and, and 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 then you hear it. And especially I mean with John Paul Jones, you really can hear it. You can really there's some now I, I look back and I'm just there's some little fills and runs that he does, and I just think to myself, wow, this he really was trying to emulate uh, emulate Jamerson, who basically wrote the book, as it were, on how to play the electric bass by doing things like, you know, thirds, uh, melodies, all these these things that are just, you know, bass players didn't electric bass players at least didn't do before him. So uh you know, that's that. That's it. You know, he had the, he, he had that sixty-two. Great, great story. I had read an interview with, with James Jamerson from around nineteen sixty-eight, <laughs> and they were asking him, uh, you know, so what, do you, what? What's your instrument? It's like a it nineteen sixty-two Fender Precision Bass. I bought in nineteen sixty-two. And they're like, oh, what kind of strings do you play? And he paused and he looked at them and he goes, well, it comes on a 1962 precision piece. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear the story about he broke a string once and he actually called up LaBella and asked if they could, uh, like, solder it back together?
1: I love it. <laughs> it no, no I never heard I've that. i never heard that.
2: Yeah, these are all apocryphal uh, stories, but I want to believe them because they're just, they're lovely stories. <laughs> Apparently, he broke a string, by the way, and he called up LaBella Company and he said, can you... Um, can you just, you know, weld it or saw it together?
1: <laughs> That's great. So, Arthur, we yeah. hear you actually, outside of normal... I hate to say normal because God knows it's a normal instrument. We understand mm-hmm. that you play a pretty interesting instrument aside from the guitar or the bass.
2: I play banjo. You
1: play banjo. You don't hear yeah. that very often. I hear more that, banjo player jokes than I hear people that play banjos. But let me just state up front: my company manufactures Washburn. We are Washburn guitars and banjos, oh. and we sell crap tons of banjos. The bluegrass segment is such a big segment of music. Tell well, us about that is, a little bit.
2: The interesting thing about the banjo, I've always loved the sound of the banjo, and this, you know, everything is cyclical. So, um, on the first work tour. Um, no, second warp tour, second warp tour, 1996. The Deftones were on it. So I got them, um, we all, you know, it's like a reunion and with other bands like with Rocket from the Crypt. I just met them, so it was a new friendship. But I see Chi hug him, talking, you know, talking shit, thanking him again because he, I'm getting fenders now at, at, at cost and whatnot. And I was like, man, you know, I was like, Chi, you know what I need to get next is I, I really want to pick up a banjo. This is uh, July of 96. And he just, eyes go wide and he's like dude just come here with me come here with me right now come here with me right now so i follow him goes to his bus opens up the bay it's like i just bought this bought a banjo so um, amazing yeah yeah i didn't i didn't get a banjo for a while i finally bought one in uh in 2007 so it was four, you know 14 years ago finally bought a banjo it was um it was uh, a it, it's it's um, a G- good times by daring so it's a daring banjo made in the u.s but it's it's like their lesser brand. So it's got just a satin finish, like none of the frills. It doesn't even have a resonator open back thing is as loud as hell. I have to shove a, um, to shove a t-shirt in between the, uh, the, 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 the truss and, and, um, and the, the, the skin of it because it just, it's too loud otherwise. Yeah. But, uh, so I always liked the banjo and I always thought bluegrass was great music. And then, uh, but what really, really got me was I started, you know, I just got, you know, still am. I love the pokes to pieces and, uh, and then I really got into listening to um, like listening to the Dubliners, and, and you know they play banjo very differently in Irish music. And loving music and reading about the history of music and ethnomusicology. It's it's funny what the ban- the associations we have with the banjo uh, in contrast to its origins. What a lot of people don't know is banjo is an African instrument. It's uh, the banjar. It's from from West Africa, which used to be called Senegambia. And it came over to the United States in an ignominious way, like much of the things that have been taken from Africa. It came here, and, uh, and interestingly, the blues, the earliest accompanying uh, self-accompanied instrument in the blues was the banjo. And uh, what the bluesmen did was, though, they switched over to the guitar because it was had a, a, a greater range. It had you know the bass notes, and it had greater sustain. So it worked better for a single musician accompanying themselves. But the, and the that's first, apparently
1: how slide came about to try and uh, emulate some of those weird overtones and tunes that uh, that were being played on banjo that they were no longer playing
2: anymore. Yeah, because the the original gourd instrument was was fretless. So I mean, the thing about African music is those microtones. And you're right. And the slide. It's funny too because um, it's, I've read interviews with Sun House, for example. Uh, because I do also have a resonator and I do play slide a lot of slide guitar, but, um, I'm learning
1: I, so much about you.
2: You think, you know, someone, the blues is the, the, the Delta blues is the shit. I mean, to me, it's like, I mean, I got into it. Uh, so I got into the blues because I, because I love Led Zeppelin and you know, the stones and everybody, they talked about the blues. That's guys, the so. roots.
1: It's the roots of everything they do.
2: And then, yeah. And then you go back though, incrementally. So I go to muddy waters and, uh, you know, that's, that's Chicago, although he's originally from from the Mississippi Delta. And then you go back, you go back, you go back, and then you go to Robert Johnson, who's oh, yeah. just not of this world. And then you go back to Charlie Patton and Son House and Booker White and all these guys that are from. It's really incredible because they're all from this small concentrated area off of Highway 61, the Mississippi Delta. But Son House talks about the first time he saw somebody playing slide guitar, uh, he saw Ruben Lacey. And, uh, it's funny because, you know, it's like a lot of the blues, blues men, there was this dichotomy in Sunhouse so, of you know, he was raised in the church and, and the blues was the devil's music, but it was calling him. And it's so funny. You can find this interview and he's talking It's like, and I see Reuben Lacey and I see him playing this. And I said to myself, isn't that scandalous? But the very next day I was back there watching him, you know? And uh, so obviously nobody, it, it's lost to, to, to time, the mists of time where the first person to decide to take a, but the neck of a bottle, and create these microtones. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely the origins are in Africa, like like so much of everything musically and otherwise. That's that's where it's it started, and uh, it's um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, whoever did it, I'm really happy and indebted to them for doing it because it's just you know, slide guitar is just, it, yeah, it's 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 just. Uh, a divine sound which makes me think of a funny story this little interlude in the early early gb this gonna make you laugh and just take a shot at myself for just ambitious stupidity um so walter had gone on tour with you today and while he was away i was doing my usual trading of instruments and and i got <laughs> a 74 fretless p bass from we buy and sell right and uh you guys there
1: yep we're here
2: okay cool call yeah I don't want to just. I'm dominating. I know, but this is funny. So Walter gets off tour. He's like, "All right, we have a GB rehearsal." I, I show up to a GB rehearsal with a breathless face. I mean, I could, you know, I could doxologize Walter for the next twelve hours. You know, but You know, anybody wants to do a filibuster, just let me talk about Walter. Uh,
1: well, we're but, gonna we're gonna have to do a part two and just tell Walter stories.
2: He's the. He's just one of my. Just, I love him so much. I really love him because he's such a kind soul, and this is lustered above that. Uh, <laughs> I pulled this fucking thing out. Walter's like, "What you? What do you have there, Smell?" I'm like, well, "I got a frontless bass." It's like, "Oh, do you think it's gonna work for GB?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's gonna be great." <laughs> Needless to say, um, <laughs> it was like I think we started playing High Hopes. And by the time I got from the beat to the day, I was like, "This is not working at all." <laughs> <laughs> the very next day, I went back to We Buy and Sell. I'm like, "Can I trade this back?" And they're like, "Yeah."
1: <laughs> <laughs> we so told you,
2: kid. So funny, <sighs> so funny. Just, just, just hilarious. Just, just, you know. Anyway, but uh, but again, I've always been into those microtones. You know, there, there's uh, you, you can, you know, it, and the thing is, it takes a, a hell of a lot of discipline because. You don't get them right, and you know how bad that sounds. It just sounds like you're playing out of tune. But, um, so Arthur,
1: yeah. Arthur brought us today from Led Zeppelin to Sunhouse,
2: via Sun House.
1: via yeah, you know Gorilla Biscuits, and uh, and I I think this was a hell of a journey. I want to I want to thank our guest Arthur Smelios. Um, thank you. Guys. Miss you. Love you. Hope to see you again you too, soon. I want to thank my uh, my cohort Dan Cav. Don't uh, cavalieri. Mister <laughs> Cavalieri. And Wait, Dan. Uh,
2: one thing. One thing. Uh, I don't know if James. I don't know if James understands about spelling. Can you tell him how we spell Blazdic in New York?
0: Oh, Blazdig. It's uh, <laughs> it's spelled B L A Z D I G. Blastig. As in
1: Blastig Bag. (laughs) Blastig Bag. Did you guys, do you guys watch, there's this dude called the Uncle Louie Variety Show? (laughs) Yes. And And Uncle Louie every day, he goes, he he says a word that doesn't make any sense, like Blastig, and he goes, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to use it in a sentence for you. And he does it in this old Italian accent. And and of course, you know, I I was married to a fresh off the boat Italian. My wife was married to a fresh off the boat Italian before we met. And we had like the same in-laws. And the word comes up and it's been a game of who can guess that, you know, what what that word is actually going to be. And we're usually pretty dead on. So anyway, Arthur, thank you so much. Dan, thank you so much. Thank you, Arthur. And uh, we appreciate it. Dan, take us out.